All right. So, um, this last week, I was given the opportunity, was having been invited by a couple of uh, brothers in Christ um, to the East Coast Pastors Conference, which was held in, uh, at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, uh, whose um, senior pastor is Joe Foch. Uh, how many of you know or are familiar with Joe Foch? Yeah, some of you. Look him up. He is a great teacher. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, I want to thank Jake. Where's Jake? Jake, thank you once again for stepping in to uh, teach on Wednesday, giving me the opportunity to go out there. And um, yeah. Uh, and I know you were blessed um, by his teaching. Um, <clears throat> so I just want to let you know that it was, it was a wonderful time out there. It just totally, you know, go over to the other side of the country and just spend time um, with other pastors, other senior pastors. Um, had um, a pastor from, uh, from Fontana, Calvary Chapel, Fontana, uh, Daniel Vasquez, um, uh, Chris uh, Fraley of Calvary Chapel Wildwood in Ukaipa, um, had Ryan Hussein from Calvary Chapel Sweet Hills, um, Andre from Calvary Chapel Vessel in Arcadia, and those were just a few of the pastors that um, were part of the small group that went to the East Coast from, from here in this area, from this region. We also had John Randall that was out there. There was Holland Davis, there was John and Joel Milhouse, and, and, uh, and others. And so it was, it was a wonderful time. Close to 2,000 pastors were there. And uh, in listening, we were fed well. We were fed well. Um, Zach Adams, who is Sandy Adams' son, uh, spoke first. And in, in his own words, he says, I am known as the guy who didn't die. And the reason why he said that is because uh, by all, uh, you know, outward appearances and, and uh, the condition that he was in, um, he should have been dead, and yet he wasn't. The Lord spared him. And, um, and so he knows exactly why he was spared, although he, you know, as he was going through this time of, of being intubated and, um, and his family not knowing whether he would make it or not, he was able to share his testimony of what God did through it all. And so that started off the whole conference. That was Zach Adams, and then his father, Sandy, came up after him. And it's always wonderful to listen to Sandy Adams. How many of you are familiar with Sandy Adams? Okay, a few of you. I encourage you, <laughs> check out Sandy Adams. Two, two great teachers there, Joe Foch, Sandy Adams. And then after that, that evening... Uh, someone from Modesto, California was out there to speak, and his name is Damien Kyle. Just, it was, it was packed. That was, it was powerful. It was wonderful to finally see Damien again teaching. Have, haven't seen him for quite some time. He had his own health issues, and so he's, he's, uh, he's back speaking at these conferences, and we truly enjoyed listening to him. We also had Al Pittman from uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, we had Troy Warner. Uh, we had Chris Swanson. 
Michael McClure, also from California, and my favorite. My favorite because not only is he an amazing teacher, but he is an amazing storyteller, and that is Don McClure. And so Don McClure uh, wrapped it up, and then, of course, we had intertwined in all of it was Joe Foch because they hosted it. And so it was a wonderful time. If you um, follow me on Instagram or Facebook, then, um, then you, I had posted some things, um, you know, not only of the event itself, worship, some pictures of um, who I went with, um, but, but also some of the, um, the places that we went to go eat. We had to have a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. And so we went there not once, but twice. Um, we had to get some pizza in New York, uh, so we went there, and, uh, and so getting there, uh, flew into New York, into JFK, and spent the night there, and, uh, and then drove into Philly the next day, so it's about an hour and a half, two hours to get from New York to Philly, and, um, and went straight to the conference, and then afterwards, though, on Wednesday, it was a half day, from there, we went back to New York and, uh, and spent some time there. Um, saw the Empire State Building, uh, and then from, I think it's called Liberty Park. Um, from there, you could see the Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, uh, Long Island, Manhattan. You could see everything there. You could see the entrance of where uh, the boat filled with people who were eager to come to, to America and enjoy our freedoms would come in and they would get processed uh, at Ellis Island. And, uh, and you could see all of that. And there was one video that I shared that showed the mouth of that, um, that entrance and then all the way up to Ellis Island, the, passing the Statue of Liberty. The first thing that they would see is the Statue of Liberty. Um, we did go uh, while we were in Philly. We had to uh, go and run uh, Rocky Steps. <laughs> had to go do that. Um, Independence Hall. Uh, we went to Independence Hall. Uh, it was late. So we like brought, uh, we just like fit all this in, but it, it wasn't, uh, it was just after the conference. And it was, in fact, some of the guys, I mean, <clears throat> they were like, hey, um, Raul, you want to go work out? And I'm like, man, it's 12.30 in the morning. Why not? Let's go, right? So we went to the, to the gym in the hotel, and we got a little workout in. And it was just stuff like that that we did. We, we were running on fumes, but at the same time, we were excited to be there. We were blessed. Uh, we, we soaked in everything that we possibly could. And um, it was just, it was a good time. It was a good time with my brothers, uh, to just be refreshed and just rejoice in what the Lord has allowed us to participate in. And, and so it was just a joy. And, and I, I am always rejoicing and I always find great joy as I get to fellowship with you. There are many things that we can experience together in ministry and just serving together and enjoying what God has blessed us with. Amen. That's what we ought to glorify the Lord with and, and uh, be thankful and, be, and have hearts filled with gratitude toward him. And so, again, I thank you for allowing me to go and have the time to go spend out there.
uh, with, the, with the brothers in, in Philly <laughs> and in New York. It was good. The, the travel was good. No delays. Although on the way back, one of the guys lost their wallet. And um, so uh, part of the team stayed back. And, uh, and what happened was as, as some of them went to the terminal and they were getting snacks for uh, the person attending to the, the, the table uh, there at, at, at the terminal, uh, they realized that they had the wallet the whole time. They were able to catch the next flight. So all is well. Everyone made it home safe. All right. So <clears throat> this morning, uh, we are in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And the title of this morning's message is, I Must Be. Uh, it's a statement that expresses a heart that is compelled to do that which the Lord desires that individual, us as his children, to do, more importantly, to be. I must be. We'll see how that, how that works out in what we have here. This is the part three of chapter two of the Gospel of Luke. And so we're concluding this chapter uh, let's begin by reading in Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to, the, to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Father, as we approach this section of Scripture, Father, I pray that we would do it with a deep desire to not only understand what we have before us intellectually, Lord, uh, Lord an understanding of the context of it, but also, Lord, that we may understand what it is that you are speaking to us through it. Lord, that we would be desiring to understand it, that we may, Lord, be submitted to you. 
Lord, at this very moment, Lord, be willing to be that clay on the potter's wheel. In the hands of the potter, allowing you to do the work of sanctification. That our lives may be closely resembling who you are. That we would be vessels shaped into and made into instruments that you desire to use. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together, fill us with your spirit, and give us understanding. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin this section with these words. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. You know, these words, what they tell us is that this was a normal occurrence for them. It was nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, it was ordinary. It was something to be expected. From their departure to their journey to the return, everything was, was just normal to them. Everyone was well aware of the routine, including Jesus. He was well aware of the routine. But as we have read, for reasons beyond his parents' comprehension, beyond his parents' understanding, as we will see, Jesus remained behind. As we read, we know that Jesus remained behind, hanging out with the teachers, with the religious leaders, with the Sanhedrin, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, get this, Jesus at this time is believed to be about 12 years old. And here's this kid hanging out with the religious leaders, listening to them, and then asking them questions. We know that by what we read, that all were amazed at his understanding and his answers, which implies that they were in turn asking him questions. This is, by the way, a good way of ensuring that there is comprehension with those who are listening. A good tip for children's ministry. You know, you teach them, but then you ask them questions. And then you, you direct them and you bring them to a place to where they have a clear understanding of what you are desiring to teach them and for them to understand. This is what was happening as the exchange, as the dialogue was taking place between the religious leaders, the teachers of the day, and Jesus as he stayed behind. But there were others who were not impressed with Jesus staying behind. <laughs> they weren't too fond of that. We know that uh, the people who were not impressed with him staying behind were his parents, but both the teachers and his parents did not understand Jesus' depth of knowledge, nor did they understand his reason for not returning with them at the time that he should have returned with them. Again, I remind you of the fact that this was nothing out of the ordinary. This was something that occurred year after year after year. And yet their lack of understanding did not determine that God had no purpose in this event. 
or that his purpose was determined whether they understood or they did not understand. Something to perhaps at this very moment make a note of in your own mind and heart. Because we have a tendency to do that. You need to trust in the fact that God has a purpose for everything. Whether you understand it or you don't understand it. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust the Lord, even when you don't understand. And when you do, he is trustworthy, and he is faithful to lead you down a straight path. His path. He will make your manner of life right. He will never lead you astray. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, a couple of my favorite verses because it helps me to understand that I must humble myself before the Lord always in, in my manner of life and in my thoughts. For it says in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so consider, we ought to consider these things as we look into these verses. And my hope is that we all gain a deeper trust of God's word to guide our decisions and that by doing so, our perspective will be in line with God's perspective. And we will know how to walk in those straight paths that God desires for us, for you, to walk in. The first portion, verses 41 through 45, is, is a time that his parents realized that Jesus was lost. To them, he was lost. And so they were searching for him. Again, let's read. It says in verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 23 and verse 14. It says, three times in the year, you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. 
For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. When you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor, three times in the year shall your males appear before the Lord. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. And so we read those to help us understand that these were a part of what was commanded by God to participate in. It was something that uh, the, the Israelites were commanded to do. And so again, it wasn't out of the ordinary. It was something that was quite normal for them to do, at least for those who were faithful, for those who were practicing their faith in honoring God's word. And so it is with us today as well. Even as we read there the second part in Deuteronomy chapter 16, you might have noticed that the people who are to come are to come out of the command and love that we have for the Lord, but also willingly. And with that, bless the Lord with whatever it is that we have to offer, not come, coming empty handed. And we are commanded to come together uh, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but doing even more so as we see the day of the Lord approaching. It is for that reason that for us, we need to understand that it's normal for us to gather together in person, not virtually, because it's hard to form relationships. It's hard for us to uh, build each other up and consider others more than ourselves when we're gathering virtually. It's, it's good, perhaps, for momentary communication to, to get some things across, but what the church is commanded to do is to gather in person and to not come empty-handed. When we come to worship the Lord, we should come not empty-handed, but willingly, and then come knowing that we are here to praise and honor the Lord and worship Him. And so this is normal. It's like other people will not understand why it is that we gather. Why do you gather together? Like, why do you have to go every Sunday? Your answer can be, I don't have to go every Sunday. Well, why do you go every Wednesday? I mean, it's enough that you go on Sundays, but why Wednesday? You're a little fanatical. No, I'm actually a normal Christian. See, a, a normal Christian will appear fanatical to the world. In fact, we may appear as fanatics to some Christians that don't understand what just normal Christianity is. It's normal to gather together. It's what we ought to do. And even more so as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Why do we have to do these things? We don't have to do these things. We get to do these things. We have to get to the, to the place in our lives to where in, in our own hearts we feel compelled to. 
You know, I, I titled this morning's message, I Must Be. We, we need to get to the point to where it's, I, I must do these things. Not because I have to, but because I want to show the Lord. I want to express to God my love for him. I can't wait to get together with everyone else and worship God and then share what he's poured into my life, my heart, this week in my devotional time with him. I can't wait to do that. When others come to that place of having an intimate relationship, a salvific relationship with Jesus Christ, they too will know why it is that we gather together and they will soon realize that's normal. That's normal. That's what ought to be. So this was all normal, and, and, um, <clears throat> but Jesus' parents didn't understand. They were searching for, for Jesus. As we see in these two sections of Scripture that we read in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it was required that the Jews attend these feasts in Jerusalem. And as we read, Jesus and his family would attend these feasts faithfully every year. Now, the distance between Nazareth and Jerusalem, as the crow flies, is about 64 miles. So it's not around the corner. They would make this pilgrimage from the region of Galilee to Jerusalem. They would travel in large caravans. So it wouldn't be difficult to lose track of a young boy in such a large group. You know, it was common then, it's common today. Can you imagine traveling in, in a large caravan? Yeah, family and friends. What boy wants to stay with his parents, right? Hey, my friends and my cousins, they're over there. I want to go with them, right? And so it was common for just the boys to hang out and to travel together and for different families and friends to, to have groups of, of friends and family with them. And so it would be easy for Jesus to get lost in the crowd. So it wouldn't be a great concern to see a child for a large part of the day. You remember this? Who grew up in the 70s and 80s? Oh, quite a few. <laughs> You know, as a child growing up in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> who wish you grew up in the 70s and 80s? I, I know my, my son and I, Isaiah, he's like, man, Dad, you tell me these stories about growing up in the 70s and 80s, and he said, maybe I, I should have been born then. <laughs> that would have been fun to do that. And that's true. No cell phones, and this is what it was. No cell phones, no internet, no cable, and most children, and I grew up in Grand Terrace, would spend the day outside riding bikes, playing sports, and swimming at the local public pool during the summer months. And either there was a specific time to come home, or at the latest. What was it when the streetlights came on, right? But I knew that if, if I stayed out to the point to where those streetlights came on, it was like, uh-oh. Oh, I remember one time, I was on my bike, and uh, in, I was up the street at the school because I grew up across the street from, from uh, Terrace Hills Junior High, and that was our playground. The streetlights came on, and uh, I couldn't get home fast enough. 
I saw my, my, my dad's car, the brake lights were on, and he was about to back up. Oh my goodness, I, I sped by him, slid into the garage, threw my bike, and ran inside and went to my room. I thought for sure he was going to come in and uh, apply to me the, uh, the rod of discipline. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think he might have. Uh, but anyway... We knew, right, when it was to come home. I, I kind of strayed off, but th- those, are, those are good memories. They really are. They're good memories of going out and enjoying time together. But that was common. That was common in those days, right, to allow our kids to do that. And I was one of those kids. And it would be common in the time of Jesus when he was going to Jerusalem with his family to just be part of the group. So it would be easy to get lost in the crowd, So, with Jesus, after having traveled for a day, the whole day, and Jesus not having returned to them, Mary and Joseph started looking for Jesus. He wasn't, and this is what we have here, this little 12-year-old, he wasn't with family, and he was not with acquaintances. In other words, he wasn't with friends or family. Where was Jesus? And it was at that time that Mary and Joseph decided to return to Jerusalem to see if perhaps he was there. Verse 46 says, And after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. They were astonished. Why have you treated us this way? Three days later, they found Jesus. Can you imagine? Those of you who are parents, your child loses, you lose sight of your child for three seconds and you're already in panic mode, right? Imagine three, three days, three days. Well, three days later, they did find Jesus. They found Jesus in the temple with the teachers. He was listening to them and asking them questions. I could just imagine as Joseph and Mary were approaching him and they saw what was happening between Jesus and the teachers. Now this was, again, something that wasn't uncommon. It was something common for the teachers during the Passover season and the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin even, To be out in public and to have these discussions, normally what they would do is have the discussions amongst themselves so that the public could overhear them discussing these issues and these subjects, discussing traditional practices and religious observance, tackling theological subjects, By the way, this would have been a great time for the people to gain some insight as to how these leaders thought and made decisions. And Jesus, at the age of 12, sat there listening and asking for three days. If you're you're young and you have that relationship with Jesus, this would be a, a great moment for you to pay attention to what Jesus was doing here. 
you will gain a lot from not only listening, but asking questions to clarify your understanding of God's word. Those young in the faith, it would behoove you to do the same thing, to listen. And at the same time, if you have questions, perhaps to jot those questions down and ask those questions that you have to clarify and deepen your understanding of scripture. Well, Jesus did this for, for three days, listening and asking questions. And because this was in, done in public, the people who heard Jesus asking these questions and even discussing these matters with the teachers were at his understanding and his, and his answers, they were absolutely amazed. That would have been amazing. <laughs> Imagine today seeing a 12-year-old, and this is what the thought that came to me, a 12-year-old having a discussion with a medical doctor who specializes perhaps in diving medicine, follow me for a moment here, Regarding the physiological effects of pressure on the human body, the adverse effects of medications under pressure, and the benefits of hyperbaric treatments in certain burn cases. You guys get, get that? That, to me, it, that fascinates me. And some of you that I've had discussions with uh, know that it, it's, it's stuff like that that, for me, got me interested in learning more. But it would be like a 12-year-old having those types of discussions with, with a doctor, someone who specializes in that. And they were all amazed. This, this was truly, absolutely amazing. How is it that this, this young 12-year-old is having these, these conversations with the religious teachers of the time? What is beyond amazing is the discussion the discussions that the people witnessed between the word become flesh and the religious teachers was actually the son of God himself. Uh, it's the one who humbled himself, who took flesh upon him and came for the purpose of dying on the cross for those very teachers and everyone who is listening to them. As we uh, read this account, what's also of particular interest to me is that Joseph and Mary were astonished. In other words, they were greatly surprised that Jesus was among the teachers engaged in these discussions with them. You see, um, they didn't expect to find him there. And what this implies is that Jesus grew up a normal boy around others in a normal way. He wasn't considered to have grown up as a child prodigy. Thus, his parents were not expecting him to be where he was when they found him. It's interesting, you know, as you think about Jesus, you would think, well, of course he's going to be there. Of course he's going to have these discussions with them. And yet his parents were astonished that they found him there in the temple having these, dis these discussions. This was obvious by their reaction and by what they said. They were greatly surprised to find him there in the temple with the teachers engaging with them. And his mother asked him, 
why he had put them through such emotional distress. Why did you do this to us? Is another way of saying what she said. Why did you do this to us? Have you ever heard that said? (laughs) Jesus' answer spoke of what Mary and Joseph should have already known though. Why do we say that? Well, because we know what Gabriel the angel had sent, had been sent to Mary to tell, to communicate to her, to, to tell her about that she would be with child and who this child would be. Did we not already go over that? Did we not learn about that, that moment when Gabriel the angel was sent by God to tell Mary that she would be with child And so Mary knew that the conception of Jesus would be miraculous since she had not known a man intimately. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Eternal. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, you, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So that was told. To Mary. Jesus was asking her, Why do you ask this? With good reason. In fact, it would have been good to remind Mary of her response to what the angel had told her, as it is recorded in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Jehovah is salvation, the Son of God, the eternal King. She knew all this. Mary was also told by Elizabeth that Elizabeth knew who it was that she was carrying. Not to mention Mary's song of praise. The whole thing was a confession of her knowledge of who Jesus is, recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. It was all praising God in response to who was in her womb. And so it should have been no surprise to find Jesus where he was. And he answered in a way that reflects that sentiment. And so the first first question Jesus asked Mary And by the way, the first recorded statement of Jesus was, why were you looking for me? 
Why were you looking for me? In other words, why were you looking for Jesus as if he was lost? He wasn't lost. He was exactly where he should have been. You should have expected me to be here, Mom. And doing exactly what you should have been expecting me to do. The second question Jesus asked Mary and Joseph was, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Do you not know, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The meaning is the same. The words carry such weight pointing to who Jesus is and what they should have known, that he would be in his father's house doing his father's work. We know that Jesus did follow in his earthly father's footsteps. He was a carpenter as well as Joseph was. But even more importantly, Jesus understood his relationship, his special relationship with God the Father in whose ordained steps he was following here in the temple according to the Father's will. And so as, as the Father willed, so he did. There's several must statements that Jesus made. This is just one of them. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. In Luke 9.22, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. His love... For the Father compelled him. And therefore, these statements were in line with the Father's will. And he, that's what he walked out. And that's what he fulfilled perfectly. I must. And so as we see here, these are Jesus' first recorded words. And they are of great significance. It is a statement of purpose. His purpose. These words imply that Mary and Joseph should have known of his special relationship with the Father. And yet we see here that they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. The question should be, why not? Why not? At the same time, as, as we look at Scripture, as we understand God's will, in, in moments to where we perhaps demonstrate a lack of understanding... We should hear that still small voice asking us, why not? Why don't you? Perhaps this is a question that is often asked of those who should know better. Those who should have great understanding of God's word, thus God's ways, God's thoughts, God's desires, and God's work, and yet don't. Hebrews 5.12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And in 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so we know that there are many things for us that we ought to understand. We ought to know why. Why it is that perhaps we don't know and it's okay to not know. And yet still trust and be faithful to the Lord and his word. Well, even so, even as they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, even so as a child, Jesus submitted to their parental authority and returned to Nazareth with them. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now we know that that Luke had compiled, he had gathered together all of this information from the interviews that he had with numerous people, including Mary. What they had experienced, they retold to him in hindsight. You know, Mary could explain to him, attesting to the fact that Jesus did return with them and that he was submissive to them. She did indeed say these things to Jesus, and Jesus did indeed say these things to her. But Mary, what she did was that she treasured all these things in her heart. She thought about them. She meditated on these events, the things that were happening, the things that she was told. She knew and she could tell Luke that Jesus grew, strengthened. God's favor was upon him and he was favored with man as well. Who wouldn't like him? Norval Geldenhuis said this, quote, He passed through a natural but perfect spiritual and physical development. At every stage, he was perfect for that stage. Close quote. We should understand that Jesus did not present himself as a, again, and I remind you of this, as a child prodigy. Of course, it's expected for you to be there. He was a, he was a normal child. His parents did not expect him to be the, with the religious teachers discussing spiritual matters with such depth of understanding. Jesus, you see, understands and he can, he can relate to how it is that you and I are growing and maturing, the things that we experience. That's interesting that the creator of the universe would humble himself and come in the flesh, fully God and fully human, experiencing those things that we experience and yet was without sin. He developed and he grew. He grew in wisdom, physical strength, and in favor with God and man. He was a pleasure to both God and man. But of course, we understand that with man, uh, that won't be 
the fact, always in fact, he'll come to a day to where they say, crucify him, crucify him. And so Mary, Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, which means that she highly valued and kept account of what Jesus said. Every word. Something that perhaps we should do with his word. Treasure every word. Meditate. Treasure. At some point, we too, with Christ, should have the same, the same heart, the same conviction, desiring above all else to just serve the Lord with our whole lives, to be compelled because of our love for him, knowing how much he's loved us first, knowing the grace that he demonstrated to us, the love that he demonstrated to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, in closing, I, I just want to say this. Some of you perhaps have strayed from the Lord. You know, you think perhaps that you need to find Jesus again. He's not lost. He's exactly where he should be, and he's right there. He's simply waiting for you to confess and repent of your sin and to turn to him. Know this for a fact, that he will embrace you, and he will bring you back in. He will forgive you of your sins, because his word tells us, if you confess, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so simply humble yourselves and confess those sins to the Lord. I pray that for anyone who has strayed from the Lord, that you find yourself miserable. I know that I was miserable. <laughs> when I had strayed from the Lord years ago, I wasn't comfortably, comfortable with the world as I was before because I knew the love of the Father and I knew his grace shown to me through his Son. I, I knew that. I, I, I knew that all too well. And I wasn't too comfortable in the world, although I tried to be. And I know I wasn't comfortable around you guys either. Reason being is that I knew that I didn't have a reconciled relationship with the Lord. And so I didn't, I didn't want to hear from you. <laughs> I didn't want to be convicted, that's for sure. And I knew what that was. I was miserable. Until I finally repented. And it was from that moment on that I haven't looked back. I don't regret that. I just regret not coming back sooner. Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I pray that for those of you that perhaps have turned your backs on the Lord, that you will search him with all your heart. According to his word, he'll be found. Pray that that happened this morning. For some, you may 
be demanding God explain to you why he's doing the things that he's doing or allowing you to go through. Know that God's ways and thoughts are beyond yours. He remains on the throne. He is sovereign. And yet he is trustworthy. He will never lead you astray as he loves you with a perfect love, an eternal love. And for those who don't know Jesus as Savior, may today be the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We know that none is righteous, no, not one. We know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so let today be the day of salvation. There's salvation in no one else. Satan and the world will try and confuse you into believing that there's all kinds of ways to God. There's only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And so my hope is that for anyone who's here, who perhaps is here, and you don't, do not have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, a salvific relationship with him, you've never surrendered your life to him, given it over to him, that I pray that today would be that day you completely surrender to him. You know, a, a hope, a new life, a new purpose, a new identity, in Jesus Christ, in him alone. So we're going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. By the way, by the way after every service, we, uh, myself and some of the leaders are up here, and we're here to just pray with you. Whoever it is that desires, who has a need, who just wants to perhaps ask some questions to, we're, we're always here to pray with you. If you're here this morning in, in closing, you want to surrender your life to Christ, then do it right where you're at, but let someone know what you've done. How do you, how do you come to, to uh, know salvation in Christ? Surrender your life to him. The thief on the cross, he simply acknowledged Jesus for who he was. He said, remember me today in your kingdom. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus knew that he was going to die. And that it was in that moment that Jesus would breathe his last. And that, that thief on the cross was forgiven of all of his sins. How do you become saved? In the same way. There's nothing that you can do to gain salvation. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Do you acknowledge him as the son of God who died for your sin? Who not only died, but was buried three days later, rose from the grave after 40 days of appearing to his disciples, ascended and today sits at the right hand of the father. Do you believe in him? Surrender your life to him today and no salvation. You will know if it's genuine because you will have the spirit indwell you. He will seal you for the day of redemption you will know uh, because you have a new heart, new desire. 
you will have joy in the things of God. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given to us. I thank you for your word. It is effective. I pray, Lord, that your love and your grace would touch each heart. That, Lord, your kindness would draw all men unto you. That as we consider or just how it was that Jesus carried himself while he was walking this earth, loving mom and dad, Lord, having favor with you and with men, walking perfectly, Lord, he was, he was doing so to demonstrate that he was the son of God. And yet, Lord, he wasn't born just to simply live life, Lord, but to serve a purpose, and that is to be the sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And by this, as the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross, so it was that through that he would draw all men unto himself. I pray that this morning we would be drawn to him by his love. Lord, that people would surrender their lives to you right now come back to you and Lord be strengthened by your love you are trustworthy and you are praiseworthy so Lord I thank you praise you in Jesus name Amen